is a program that very clearly placing students in workplace internships to build up the skill set that they, you know, will stay with them following graduation. The students that go on the internship come back and have played a big role in recruiting students for the following year. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides Podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. Over the past several years, one of the fastest growing sectors of World Strides Higher Ed and Education Abroad in general has been international internship programs. Our listeners will, of course, know that education abroad is a high-impact practice, and for college students, so is completing an internship. It's for that reason that I like to think of international internships as something of a double high-impact practice, and to me, that's what makes them so special. Today, we're taking a deep dive into international internships, what they are, why they matter, and what the outcomes are for students. I am particularly impressed with the international internship programming available to students at St. Michael's College in beautiful Greater Burlington, Vermont. And it's my distinct honor to welcome Dr. Jeffrey Ayers onto the podcast to explore this topic with us. Dr. Ayers is the director of the Center for Global Engagement and senior international officer at St. Michael's College. He's also a professor and chair of political science and international relations. Jeff likes to keep busy. And I know that he understands deeply the transformative power of, inter of international internship opportunities for students. I always learn so much when talking to Jeff, and I'm thrilled to be able to share him with our listeners today. Stay tuned because you will not want to miss this episode. Jeff Ayers, welcome to the podcast. Zach, thank you very much for having me. I know you as a colleague who is truly dedicated to excellence in higher education, teaching, international exchange, and to your students at St. Michael's College. I'm, I'm excited to sit down with you today. For our listeners who aren't yet connected to you, please kick us off with an overview of your longstanding tenure at St. Michael's College and a little bit about how you came to be where you are today. Great. And again, thanks and for the welcome. I'm happy to be here. In the middle of my 26th year here at St. Michael's College, and I've, as you said, I'm a political science and international relations professor. And I've been teaching international relations for most of those years and been in a variety of circuits capacities, 13 years as department chair, served as dean of the college, and most recently as a senior international officer and director of our Center for Global Engagement. But through all that time, you know, my primary kind of background interest has been in international relation and promoting and expanding international relations. So I've always kind of kept my hat in to support activities. I've, I've complemented courses with short-term study trips. I've, I lead a, or I co-lead a study trip to Ottawa, Canada with a colleague at the University of Vermont, a three-day trip in the fall, usually with my Canadian politics course. I've uh, co-led a study trip to Wales for two weeks in the UK uh, built around environmental sustainability. But it's really been in the last several years a little bit before and then post-COVID that I've poured my energies into a kind of expanding international relation here, and particularly around international internships. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Jeff. You know, it's always been clear to me that you are truly a pillar of the international community, 
not only at St. Michael's, but within Vermont. Could you tell us a bit, a bit more about the center you lead and help us get to know the education abroad ecosystem at St. Michael's College? The kind of core or foundation of our e international ecosystem is study abroad, and in, which is led by our director, Peggy Emai. And to, we've sort of actually, you know, several of the programs pre-existed creating the Center for Global Engagement. But the idea behind creating the center, which in no way, in no means was reinventing the wheel, is certainly something many institutions have, but we wanted to create a hub, a vehicle for better coordinating and communicating and strategizing and pooling resources to, again, kind of advance a more comprehensive approach to international relations. So we more purposefully and intentionally in the last several years have combined study abroad, I say combined, but kind of under an umbrella structure so that we're cooperating more directly, study abroad, international internships, undergraduate and postgraduate fellowships, such as the Fulbright program, the Peace Corps prep program, international admissions, and then the Office of International Student and Scholar Services. And that's, that's kind of our institutional eco-structure in the the different directors and coordinators of those programs all collaborate with me to build up programs, expand global engagement opportunities for our students. Uh, I understand, of course, that you are instrumental in, in playing a leadership role to secure funding through the Freeman Foundation for St. Michael's College students to participate in academic internships abroad in Asia. Tell us a bit about this story and how you turned this vision into a reality. It's a great story. I, I was in my last year as groom of the college, and I, my passion is at the time was particularly continued to expand internationalization opportunities. And we, in that last year, we brought the Peace Corps prep program to campus, but we also applied for an initial pilot grant for the Freeman for the Freeman Foundation, and we were fortunate to get a small, modest grant, appropriately so, for a pilot program, and we were able to fund four students to, uh, to go to Hong Kong for eight weeks in international internships in the summer of 2018. And I went over, uh, actually been in Australia before that, and then went up from Brisbane, Australia, to, to visit some of the sites in Hong Kong, and students had a great experience. It was very successful. So we expanded it to 11 students the following summer in 2018, the Freeman, I think, gratefully saw that we were successful at the internship process. So they re re annually reapplying for the grant. So we got a larger grant. And then COVID hit and we pivoted to online. So we, we, this wasn't Freeman, I should actually add. It's pretty important to say we didn't use any Freeman funding for the virtual internships, but we did work with TEEN, the uh, Education Abroad Network, for having students placed in virtual internships in Vietnam. And then it's been in the last, it really kind of taken off now in the last several years. In 2022, 14 students went, you know, to Seoul, South Korea for eight weeks. This past summer, we had 15 students in Ho Chi Minh City, 11 in Ho Chi Minh City, and four in Seoul. So a total of 15. And we're thrilled to have 16 total who are working with right now to get placed. So it's been a kind of a measured process. I mean, grad, I, I'm glad that we haven't overdone done things, taking it. The goal is to expand it a little bit by bit. I consider the Freeman Foundation program 
International Internship Program, one of the flagship programs of St. Michael's College. We're one of only three colleges and universities in the country that received this grant to support international internships. Well, it's been such a, just such a, been a joy to play, to have been able to play a small part in, in the growth of this program on, on your campus and, and to see the students who have participated go and then come back and, and, and truly be transformed. You know, many of our listeners today will at least be somewhat familiar with Freeman Asia. I understand that you have cultivated a strong professional relationship with Freeman, and I'd love for you to share a bit about what that looks like, what you've learned along the way, and any pieces of advice for other professionals related to seeking meaningful partnerships. Well, I, I do have a good, I have a strong professional relationship with Dr. Jufei Wong, who's the National Program Director of the Freeman Foundation. Jufei is uh, an invaluable resource. He's been hugely supportive of St. Michael's College. He's been a real mentor to me in terms of each annually revising the grant and how to appropriately tailor it for the interest and the concerns of the Freeman Foundation. We're fortunate that the foundation kind of exists institutionally in both Vermont and Hawaii. We do, we have, I have, I can say, I'm, it's a, we're very fortunate that Jufe is actually in the neighborhood, so to speak. So we've invited him to fall returning dinners, opportunities to see students present on in panels, uh, you know, re- reflecting on their experiences when they were abroad. And in fact, I I just invited Jufe was our, one of our featured speakers, reflecting on his uh, experience in international education. He spoke for, uh, he was one of the speakers for International Education Week past November. The personal relationship, it's a professional, but the per- personal relationship, getting to know him, inviting him to campus, he's been very supportive of the, of St. Michael's College, and I think it's been clear that the work we're doing very much supports the mission of the Freeman Foundation, where this is not a study abroad program, this is a program that's very clearly placing students in workplace internships to build up the skill set that they you know, we'll stay with them following graduation. We, we've been an important to the Freeman Foundation that we, the students that go on the internship come back and have played a big role in recruiting students for the following year. So I think that's mm-hmm. been, that's been very successful. Something else, the Freeman Foundation has been very supportive of. So it's been, certainly part of this is a very strong professional and personal relationship with the program director, Bay Wong who I think has been an invaluable resource for us. Yeah, as international educators, Jeff, we know that funding is a cornerstone in our students' ability to have access to high-impact practice, such as internships or study abroad programs. What does the Freeman Grant cover, and how have you seen it open doors for your students? Freeman Grant covers a great deal. I mean, we supplement the grant with some funding from the Center for Global Engagement and another endowment here, but we the majority of the annual Freeman grant covers the cost of placement of the internship placement, uh, which includes housing covers usually covers round trip airfare. It also covers, if I mix in some of the funding from the Center for Global Engagement, we help cover food stipend and we waive uh, the, co- the cost of a four credit tuition, four credit class during the summer. So we waive the cost of that tuition for students. It's a course that I teach in the summer. Uh, so it, well, most, we, our goal is to have every conceivable cost covered so that students are not paying much out of pocket. It's, it's certainly, 
I think when you ask the question of what uh, doors might be open for students, my hope is that what's happening is that compared to traditional study abroad, which is also a fantastic opportunity here at the college during the semester in the summer, I do think we're addressing the kind of well-known equity gap that exists in education for underserved students who might not otherwise be able to afford study abroad. We're really trying to make this a a low or no cost opportunity to go abroad for eight weeks in the summer. So I think that has been something that's been been notable. And I think we have seen some first expansion of first gen uh, and uh, participation participation by more students from underserved communities. Why are international internships important? And how are the outcomes different from more traditional study abroad? International internships, first of all, they're important because I like how you started this podcast. I, I'd never heard that before, but a double high impact, I, arguably that's true. In, internships are increasingly seen as invaluable, uh, high, use, high impact co-educational opportunities for students today to give them uh, you know, a skill set to help them prepare for a career after college. You combine that with an international placement and you, as you, if you look at ADHDU high impact practices, we see global learning, intercultural competency is another one. So we're combining two, two high impact experiences of international internships. So I think, and again, what are high, high impact experiences again are providing oftentimes students with a deeper kind of learning that persists with them a lot, a lot more, a lot of evidence suggests that retention and graduation rates are higher for students who participated in high impact experiences. Uh, but the, I, I've noticed that the internships are, are again, deeply immersive. The students are, particularly in Asia, are going to the other side of the world. They're being plunked down in a workplace for up to 10 hours a day, eight to 10 hours a day. And then you throw in a commute where they may have one or two other students from the United States or another English-speaking country, but for the most part, they're suddenly working with a a team of people from Hong Kong or from South Korea or from Vietnam. Most of these are English language. Though the English is the working language of the of the site, but I still think there's a it's a different type of immersion when you are in there and the team that you're working with is primarily from that country. Uh, and these are the ones that I'm most familiar with. Those three cities in particular that I've spent, visited and spent the most time and had students placed in Hong Kong and now Seoul and Ho Chi Minh City are massive, deeply immersive urban areas as well. So the students, some of them are living together in these, in these cities, but they're still, uh, they're not walking across the street to take a class and then go back to their dorm. They're hopping on a a metro in Seoul, or they're getting in grab at the Uber of, of you know, Vietnam, and they're navigating uh, a, a city in a completely foreign language. So I do think it's uh, producing, I, we don't, we're told not to use these words anymore, but this, I think that students are getting a lot of soft skills from international internships, resilience, persistence, independence, adaptability, uh, time management, independence, and they're getting the workplace skills. So it's a, I think there's a soft skills, uh, global intercultural competency and workplace skill. So there's a, a variety of things that are complementing themselves that pro- uh, that are producing these high impact learning outcomes. I love the way I articulated that. I, I've never quite thought about it in that particular way, but it's brilliantly put. You know, I know that you make a point to get to know your students well, 
What are some of the the coolest or most interesting things you've seen your students do on one of these internship programs? I've thought about these trips a lot, and you know, part of the the cool aspect is the the, the placement itself. So, for instance, last summer, students were placed in the uh, Silicon Valley of Seoul of South Korea, or students are placed, you know, near the uh, War Remnants Museum in Ho Chi Minh City. I mean, the, the placements themselves, the historical significance of some of the sites or the local areas in which the students are placed, for me, is is particularly interesting and cool. Uh, I, I think the, you know, we, say, we, we tend to say to every student, regardless of the major, regardless of whether you end up getting placed in at a, in a site that aligns perfectly with your major or career goals, you're going to have a life-changing experience. So the, it, it's that um, placement in a, in a dramatically different international cultural setting that's cool. I, I use it, that's the term that you use. I do think it's cool the way students are developing. I've seen it with my own eyes, the way students develop a sense of humility for, towards the other, towards somebody that they're they're learning much more about, um, particularly notice that Vietnam, which is ongoing, continual reconciliation between the United States and Vietnam. Students say for sure one of the coolest or one of the most enjoyable aspects of these internships are the c- connections they make with people on the ground there, people in the home countries, both buddies or people in the workplace or people in the neighborhood. They meet through coffee shops and such. I think there's also cool trips, cultural excursions in Buddha Busan, they've gone to Thailand, there's a number of side trips, weekend cultural events. But I think the overall daily, I think the day-to-day experience, the immersion in culture so different from what they're accustomed to and the friendships that they've made that I think are lasting is what's particularly, for me, interesting. We've talked a lot about the outcomes for students who participate on these programs. But there are also other benefits to having opportunities like these, right? You know, if you send 16 students from St. Michael's College to intern in Asia for a summer, then they then return to the home campus. I'm curious, like from your perspective as a senior international officer, like what the effect has been on the campus as a whole. A couple different thoughts come to mind. One is that we do purposefully create panels for the returning to share with the campus community their experiences and they're very enjoyable they're open to the public and that and, and they're usually very well attended and they both i think they serve as both uh you know kind of information sessions about these sites about these countries but they're also serve as recruitment mechanisms students get interested they find out who who participated in these preps and they begin to talk and get a sense maybe i could do this as well without Else really interests me though is I began to see, and it's purely uh, qualitative so far. I don't, I, but I, I'm beginning to see that the particularly post COVID, as any other institution, kind of reinventing, rebuilding internationalization after the pandemic. I'm starting to see the internship program, for example, as a as part of a broader process of helping students scaffold up different international experiences. So it's a little bit anecdotal, but I'm fi- I'm I'm becoming convinced that, for example, a student who does an eight-week internship in Vietnam or South Korea, for example, through the Freeman 
is going to become interested in and potentially more competitive for the Fulbright program, for example. And we're starting to see students who participated in those Freeman internships become interested in following up with a post-graduation Fulbright or uh, the Peace be, being part of the Peace Corps. Uh, I'm also seeing more students becoming more interested in uh, international careers, like such as the Ford Servant. So I do think that there's something, again, that's as this internship program is growing, that it's creating or it's connecting to and beginning to kind of scaffold up with other opportunities that are hopefully building a, a, a kind of global mindset here at the college. Over the past decade or so, we have all seen an explosion of interest uh, in students for study abroad and international internships throughout Asia. What, in, from your perspective, makes this region so attractive to our students? You know, one thing I'll say, I would admit that we the, the send students to Asia in part because it's the part of the mission of the Freeman. <laughs> and so, it, I mean, that's, but, I'm, but I like what, that, what, what I think that's doing is opening students' eyes up to a part of the world that they otherwise may not have considered. So we have seen some students who, after participating in a Freeman internship in the summer, have decided to continue and study abroad in, in the same country. So I think there's part of its connection to the Freeman program. But I also think it's like when you, when we, during the application process, when we're interviewing students and we ask them, oh, what is it that interests you about this area? A number of them say, well, it's it's the area of population growth in the 21st century, the economy booming. A number of people mention pop culture, K-pop, or other types of kind of emerging technologies. So I do think students have in part latched on to that it's considered that region of the world that generally continues to still grow, uh, you know, both economically and in a technological sense. And maybe students are becoming a little bit more adventurous as well. Absolutely. As a practitioner in the field of international education and an academic leader at St. Michael's College, you have spent time abroad with students and engaged in professional travel on multiple occasions. In fact, you have visited the teen office in Seoul a few times, and I've told you are one of their very favorite site visitors, Jeff. So I wanted to ask your advice. You know, when you're planning your professional travel, how do you do it and how do you make the best use of your time when overseas? I, and I was fortunate this past summer, to, and I was hope to do it again this summer, to visit not just Seoul again, but to go back to Ho Chi Minh City and visit both team sites. And, you know, the way I make best use of the trip is to try to pack in a, a number of different activities. You know, one is to make sure that I you oftentimes can't visit everyone, but I think it's important to visit some of the internship sites. So I want to see what where students are, where they please sit down, talk to some of the actual site supervisors in the same way I would do here with students being placed with the Vermont Council of World Affairs, for example. So I just on the phone yesterday with the site supervisor for a student who's being placed, you know, with that organization. So I think it's important to organize ahead of time working with your representatives on the ground and those sites. Site visits, I think it's important to visit the housing if possible to see where the students are living it's not just it always is possible we always do it i enjoy visiting the offices uh, where, where where the staff is on the ground there in in seoul as well as uh ho chi minh city and also i think it's important i get out and i ride on the subway or i use the grab app i, I try to navigate my way around the city on my own to get a sense of what it's like for the students to 
how difficult is it? How challenging is it? Uh, sample some of the restaurant, if you will, explore some of the, seriously, explore some of the cultural excursions. What are, what are some of the opportunities available? So I, I pack a lot into my time when I'm there and actually don't do enough tourism. It's hard to pack it all in, isn't it? Thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, you know, you are, of course, sending students to intern in, in both Seoul and in Ho Chi Minh City. I'd love to hear you unpack some of the differences between those two destinations in terms of student fit, um, what your students are saying about their overall takeaways, and anything else you'd like to share. The first thing I would share is that, that we're both, both groups of students this past year in particular, it's the first time we've sent students to two different sites, had nothing but praise for people on the ground there. And that's critical. That mean that that's maybe the most important aspect of these programs is what the knowing that there are people there to guide them, to mentor them, advise them throughout the eight weeks to help them integrate with the community and such. So that so that's been both sites, uh Wiso and Mo, Moon and others who are there on the ground have been just really outstanding and accessible and great resources. And they've been incredibly welcoming to me when I visited as well and very useful and helpful. Uh, the, you know, the, there's clearly differences between the two sites. Seoul is a, uh, I just, I think it's a, it, it's a much more almost post-industrial city with an incredibly modern metro system that goes all over the greater Seoul region. So that's the primary, they just have to master that underground metro system to almost everybody take that metro to get to wherever they're going in an internship site. And I think the type, you know, there are some differences in, and I don't even want to speak to them as much. It, it, they vary a bit, but I mean, the internships are a little bit different. The availability is a bit different. Maybe more marketing, business accounting type internships might be a little more prevalent social media in in Seoul, South Korea, but again, it, it it always depends on the work your students are getting advised with team reps. And we, we were told and that we seemed to find it was the case that there may be, and there were some opportunities for more research-based uh, STEM-type internships at Ho Chi Minh City. So I, I noticed that oh, we had students that were placed in educational research settings in Vietnam that was pretty exciting for them. We actually have a student who has applied for a Fulbright to go back to Vietnam after graduation. I, I, I think one of the major reasons he could even be considered to be competitive is his experience that he had in, that he had in Vietnam. Uh, again, no metro system, so to speak, of in Ho Chi Minh City. So it's kind of a different adventure. And yeah. it, seconds of getting off the plane, I learned how to use Grab, which is like the Uber in the United States. But, uh, and in students, that's their primary means or else the bus system. So, um, Different, slightly different climates, different excursions. It's, I think it just it varies between student, but both experiences have been incredibly immersive and rewarding. Jeff, we've talked a lot about Asia this afternoon, but I know you're, of course, uh, a political science and international studies faculty and an expert on U.S.-Canada relations. You've written and presented about many topics related to Canada over the years, including, I believe, recently on Vermont Public Radio. And have, of course, led students to Ottawa. How did you become interested in Canada? And what's special about it in terms of academic and intercultural study? I uh, wrote my dissertation at the, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison for earned my master's and PhD there. And 
happened to be at the time in the late 80s when I was in earning a political science graduate degree that there was an unusual social movement that had originated in Canada that was against the, against the free trade agreement. It was an anti-free trade movement in Canada that kind of fascinated me at the time. And I ended up studying it, applying a lot of social movement theory to it and wrote my dissertation on it, became my first book, uh, Defying Conventional Wisdom, Political Movements and Political Movements and Popular Mobilization in Free Trade in Canada. And it, it, it was fascinating me the way in which a, a group of people that in a, a, a country, a, citizens of, of a country would be North American, very, very opposed to, not the majority, but significant number of posts to something that seemed so innocuous. So I was interested in it from that kind of intellectual way. And then just as soon as I, my first job was in Lake Superior State University at Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, right on the Canadian border. In fact, my youngest daughter was born in Sioux, Ontario. And so for those first four years, I had sometimes half my students were Canadians that came across the border to go to class. And I was able to take that class. I teach Canadian politics here. Usually every fall semester, I have built a great relationship with a professor at University of Vermont, Dave Nassar, and we collaborate on the study trip. And I, I often say to my students, most of whom are U.S. citizens in class, that Canada is a great way to get four of the major subfields of political science. In, an, in a Canadian politics class, you're getting com comparative politics because you're studying parliamentary system. We're getting international relations because we're studying the way another country is navigating the world. You're getting some political theory if you're looking at collective rights and multiculturalism. And you're also getting American politics because when you study Canada, it's a really interesting way to learn more about the United States and how a country just north of the United States purposefully was created to be different from the U.S. So it's been a, it's a great so it's a fascinating country to, country to study. Of course, it has Quebec within it. It's a uh, it has a, a growing, growing a more prominent role for and focus on indigenous people, the Aboriginal people. So it's a it's a very I think important and interesting study country to study in the 21st century. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. I don't I don't think I've ever asked you that question about Canada. Um, I have to pick your brain more about Canadian politics. Um, but I want to bring back the conversation to St. Michael's for a moment. You know, St. Mike's is, of course, a, a Catholic institution, and part of the college's vision statement is the following, to actively engage students with ideas developed over millennia and many world civilizations, as well as those ideas from more recently emerging disciplines, and assist students in the generative process of creating new understandings. Now, Jeff, you and I know that study abroad and a chance to develop a wider worldview go hand in hand. What distinguishes the students at St. Michael's College and how have you seen their learning be enhanced by global opportunities? You're right. St. Michael's is a Catholic institution. It's a small private Catholic liberal arts college where the, the, the hallmark of the experience here is faculty-student interaction and residential life and small, small class size. And there's... That, that that plays those uh, activities, those opportunities play a role in shaping the type of education that's here. I I think students aren't a number. I think they there is a strong sense of community here, both within the within the student population and between students and faculty and staff. Uh, I think, and that's 
not that different from other smaller liberal arts colleges. I do think there's an Edmundite tradition here. There's a there's a strong commitment to service. Large percentages of our students participate in MOVE, which is a service program, mobilization, a volunteer effort. So I do think there's an underlying kind of ethical sense or commitment to service on the part of, of our students. And then I think the global piece you know, has become ever more important in providing students with that edge in the 21st century. So the college for decades has done a great job of providing a classic liberal arts education. And by the way, and a kind of a Catholic education, so education for the whole person with, with some philosophy and religious studies and again, service built in. So I think students have, there's an excellent opportunity here for building up a liberal arts skill set of critical reading and writing, oral and written communication, analytical skills. But the global piece is so important today. So I think students who take advantage of some type of global experience or, or global opportunity are uh, giving themselves the chance to build up an intercultural competency or building up a sense of global citizenship that's going to help them be more successful in an increasingly diverse and interconnected world. And, and I want to return to the Center for Global Engagement that, that you lead. Um, is there anything, Jeff, that you're working on as it relates to the center that you're particularly excited about? Yes, we are. Actually, I'm excited about uh, thinking kind of the next step. For the first two and a half years, we've, we've built this center. Uh, the pillars of the center are the different programs of so study abroad, international internships, Peace Corps prep, Fulbright and other types of fellowships, Office of International Student and Scholar Services. So now what we're trying to do is think about ways to both more directly impact classroom. So how can how can what we're doing uh, encourage more faculty to uh, cr create more courses with international content? And I'm I'm very interested in what we're calling a global scholars program. So our we haven't publicized it yet, but what our goal is is to create a program. It's it's sort of a pathway four year mentoring program where we tell students if you come to St. Michael's College. From day one, you're going to, you'll, you'll be mentored and advised on the many different ways across your four years that we can take advantage of a study abroad or an international internship or maybe mentoring international students. So that again, by the time you graduate, you are much more globally competent than you otherwise would be. And you're more competitive for Fulbright, Ford Servants, graduate school, or other types of careers. So I'm, I'm very excited about the global scholars program that we hope to uh, start, frankly, this spring semester. That's terrific. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. You know, it's not every day that I get to pick the brain of an international education professional and academic leader whose journey has spanned over 25 years at one institution. What evolutions have you seen in students on your campus when it comes to studying abroad during that time? One of the changes or ways in which study abroad has evolved here that I think is very valuable is that we're seeing uh, more academic study trips. So, I, which I think sits an important, another high high impact experience or an important experience that immense faculty student interaction is getting a student, getting ten to fifteen students together with two faculty for two weeks some, and t sending them off into the world somewhere. So, I do think we're seeing uh, again in a kind of post COVID way more faculty explore and students take advantage of the short, short-term trips 
perhaps because in part, I don't think St. Mike's is alone in students thinking they need to double major and double minor. And sometimes they're, they're putting so much into their coursework that they're actually finding a hard time finding space for study abroad in the, in the semester or the summer. So I think they're finding more opportunities actually participate in the short term trip. Um, and I think and I, part of it is students are reawakening right now to the opportunities associated with study abroad after COVID. We aren't, there's nothing unusual about it, but it all but shut down during the pandemic. So I think a new generation of students are becoming, are beginning to become curious about what study abroad might involve. And I hope that having the center as a voice and kind of as a presence here on a weekly basis, promoting global engagement, I think it's going to be pushing more students into study abroad. What is a change you'd like to see in the world? There's so many that I, I it's hard to, uh, you know, even fully get started. I, I stood in class this week, so I just started teaching international relations, intro to international relations. We just finished the first week and I'm 58 years old. And I said to the a group of 30 students in the classroom, roughly 20 years old. And I said, you know, when I was in taking this class in the early 1980s at the University of Virginia, they, uh, we were in the Cold War. And so I, I grew up south of D.C. And I grew up very much in the D.C. orbit, thinking all the time about Cold War, the conflict, bipolarity, for nuclear conflict. And then I shared with the students how much had changed or seemed to have changed at the end of the Cold War with the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the reunification of Germany and the collapse of the Soviet Union and how much optimism was associated with some of the trends of the 1990s around globalization and interconnectedness. And so the change I'd like to see is somehow stopping this growing trajectory towards more conflict in the world. I, I mean, that's what I, I think we're entering a new uncertain, unstable era that concerns me a great deal. And I'm, I, uh, I think there's that we we need to see a wholesale reinvestment in a kind of new multilateralism and new types of global governance. So I was a little too political sciencey, but that's my the biggest change in the world I'd like to see is reinvesting in cooperation and diplomacy and and peace initiatives. Well, it's like how do we get there, right? You know, I I like to think, Jeff, and maybe this is Pollyanna-ish of me, but if if every student in the U.S. studied abroad before they graduated college. What, what are different worlds we'd be living in in terms of cooperation and multilateralism and, and intercultural understanding? And would love to speak, would love if you could speak to that a little bit. Oh, I, I fully agree. What, what are the biggest advantages or one of the great learning outcomes for studying abroad, broadly construed internship study abroad is, is a, I hope, a sense of humility, a sense of uh, shared humanity uh, that a, 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 a curiosity and appreciation for the other, but also a recognition of how privileged Americans, not, many Americans still are, not not everyone, a deeply unequal society. But when one travels to Vietnam or South Korea or other part other parts of the world in Africa, let you recognize that there's a phenomenal amount of inequality and there's incredible challenges facing people. So I do think having a sense of humility, having a sense of gratitude. Is, a, is a, not just a good thing for one's mental health, but I think it actually could go far towards, as you said, re- removing barriers between people, which I would seem to be getting more and more barriers being placed between peoples around the world these days. So I, I would, I'm a big, I would 
stop Pollyanna shareholder. I think I think if every and if every student had some type of global engagement opportunity, I think it could be extremely beneficial. As we begin to wrap up here, I just have one more question for you, sir. As you contemplate education abroad in 2024, what makes you hopeful? I think I you know I'm, I am hopeful for the enthusiasm that is on, on display from the students who have participated in the programs that we offer. Not just the enthusiasm, but the when we sat down and we had the returning panel back in October, you know, the students, every single student who went to Vietnam or Korea said it changed their lives. It would, it, and they said, they spoke out to the audience how they would, they said, do it, do whatever you're thinking, whatever doubts you might have, do this. And so I, for me, that's what gives me hope is a sense of adventure, the sense that, of enthusiasm that students who have participated and experienced that uh, of getting them deeply immersed in a, in a foreign culture and, and they're sharing it with a new generation of students. My hope is that that's going to expand uh, the number of people engaged in it. So that, that gives me a lot of hope. I am also interested in and, and happy about new, new technologies, new ways in which we're I participate in different types of COIL, collaborative online international learning. Actually, one of the most fun experiences I've had in the last several years is I teach a COIL course in the summer with colleague, colleagues at Masaryk University in the Czech Republic. And to get on a screen and see kids, students, young people from all over the world on this screen who are taking this class, it's a, like, it's a double, triple international immersion experience and it's really kind of exciting. So I think... I don't want to overdo that, but I do think you have like many little mini international experiences that are quite valuable through these new technological connections as well. I can't imagine a better place to end things than right here. Dr. Jeffrey Ayers, this has been such a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for being here. I had a great time. Thanks a lot, Zach, for inviting me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I am your host, Zach McKinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelscher and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.